You're listening to DraftKings Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, President of me. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Marilyn Mays Row, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Why are you wishing me a- it's not my birthday? Well, it's the birthday of something that you created. It's Patino Games anniversary, I mean. Oh, yeah. It's the anniversary of Rick Patino saying this. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door, and Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. Obviously, that became the basis of the world-famous Patino game. And people ask me, like, you know, how did it come about? It's an interesting story, guys. I co-created it with my then-boss... Noel Gillespie. He was the head video coordinator. I was assistant video coordinator. Back then, you had to record games on a disc. And in order to make it fit onto the disc without going to EP or whatever and having the video quality drop precipitously, you kind of have to pause out timeouts and quarter breaks and all that stuff. And you could just fit it in unless you had some coach at the end of a game that was clearly over calling a bunch of timeouts. And we always get annoyed. Noel would say something like, if, you know, if we're playing the Pacers and the Pacers are doing this, he'd say, hey, buddy, Reggie Miller's not walking through that door, as in to save your game. There's no 30-point play that's going to happen here. Jim Boylan needs to step aside. Yeah, basically let the game end, let us all go home and go about our business. And what ended up happening was it just became more fun to say more obscure names. So say Haywood Workman's not walking through that door, or LaSalle Thompson's not walking through that door, or Travis Best is not walking through that door. And then, you know, it just became a thing that we do. So I remember after I transitioned to the media, I was watching a playoff game. I can't remember which team, but basically it was elimination game. Team is getting blown out and they're still calling timeouts. And I remember tweeting something along the lines of, buddy, Reggie Theus isn't walking through that door. And it took off. It became a thing that people would do at these playoff games. So I was like, okay, we're good with this. And I remember at first it started a few people and I, I used to be able to respond, right? When people would say something, they would say a name, say, oh, Bashan Leonard's not walking through that door. Oh, Bashan Leonard, remember when he tore his ACL, but he showed up the three-point shootout to defend his title, but he was like 150 pounds overweight. I would have fun facts. I want that fun facts. That's my favorite. 
Patino game of means. You know what happened? You got too big. It was too big. And too many people, too many submissions. And it just turned into me trying to figure out whether these submissions are accurate or fraudulent because they're all rules of the Patino game. But you guys know what? More than it being used in politics, I've seen it be used in elections. I've seen it be used in all different types of sports. I've seen it be used during the Oscars or whatever. Many people are saying? No, people are using so-and-so not walking through that door. Orson Welles isn't walking through that door. But the thing that really gave me joy, and I reposted it on my Instagram, you could check it out. There was a clip someone sent me of a chess competition, and the play-by-play guy and the color commentary guy are sitting there, and the guy is explaining what the Patino game is. And it is the most accurate definition ever. It's like I was given the definition. I, I was so psyched that even in chess, they're talking Patino game. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but- all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. I'm Tom Haberstroh, and that's Amin El Hassan. I want to thank all the people out there, the Basketball Illuminati, for subscribing, resubscribing, rating, and reviewing. We will not be silenced out there. We will not be minimized, neutralized by the mainstream media. If you continue to show support for the podcast, we will continue to open people's eyes and the rights will be wronged. Not only that, we'll also sell you guys merch. See all this cool artwork that Angel Resto has created for us? You want to slap that on a hat, on a hoodie, on a t-shirt? Just keep supporting us because the support tells the powers that be that we're worthy of a merchandising deal. Did I say rights will be wronged? Is that the right terminology you wanted to use there? Up is down. Wrongs will be righted, Tom. Wrongs will be righted. Closed eyes will be opened and your minds will finally be free from the shackles of the mainstream media. We need to talk about the agenda. Listening to the agenda with Amin El Hassan and Tom Haberstrow. Amin, what's the agenda today? Well, well, well. John Morant on Monday night had himself a 50 burger, Tom. 50 burger with cheese. And in case you didn't know, that cracks a streak that up until this point, had been unmatched, which is the Memphis Grizzlies were the only organization 
in the history of the NBA to not have a 50-point scorer until Monday night when Ja dropped 52 on the Spurs. But more than that little tidbit of trivia, it sparked the conversation across water coolers and podcasts across the land. Is Ja Morant the MVP? And I'm here to tell you, Tom, I'm predicting that he will win MVP. Not that he should, but that he will win MVP. Oh, this is classic, Amin. Mm -hmm. What you're saying here is he might not win MVP based on his actual production Mm -hmm. or his actual value Mm -hmm. or his actual evidence. This is not an evidence-based award. What you're alleging, Amin, is that it's already a wrap, that Ja Morant is going to win the MVP based purely on our feelings, the narrative, the story, the arc of Ja Morant coming out from nowhere and writing what looked to be in the NBA, a lot of down storylines where you have over here, Ben Simmons, the hostage situation with him, and then the James Harden trade, LeBron James and disaster in Lakerland, and the Knicks, it's been a debacle over there. All this negative storyline, but here comes Ja Morant stealing the show and dunking all over our newest wordle purdle stealing the MVP conversation. Is that what you're alleging here, I mean? That's a lot of words you just said there. You went all over the league and, and to wordle and to fertile and came back. I'm telling you, Tom, and you listeners, you enlightened listeners, you basketball Illuminarmy, it's not our feelings that we're in. It's the voters' feelings. The hundred voters who dictate and determine who wins all these postseason awards. And if it's one thing I know about voters, and I used to be one, I used to be inside the machine. That's how I know how these things go, guys. They love a story. And more than a story, more than a narrative, you know what they love? They love a new story. Mm. They love something fresh. This is what voters love more than anything. Not the obvious, not the apparent. They like to go, huh, I didn't know that about you. In some awards, it's more prevalent than others. Coach of the year. I can guarantee you, coach of the year almost every year goes to the guy who went, huh, I didn't know you guys were that good. It's the media, my bad award. I mean, it's almost like, oh, you've impressed me. I had expectations of this, but now you've exceeded them. So, huh, I didn't know you were that good. J.B. Bickerstaff is going to win coach of the year, by the way, simply and purely off of, huh, I didn't know you were that good. For MVP, it's a little less boilerplate than that. But if you look through the history of the league, there are countless examples of players who won MVP. Obviously, they had MVP caliber seasons. They're not going to make it too obvious for you. But whenever the league wants to re-pivot, you know, need a new storyline, a fresh storyline, you get one of these, huh, I didn't know you were that good, MVPs. Nikola Jokic last year, At the start of the season, I don't think anyone would have picked him to be MVP. By the end of it, he wins MVP. What do people say? Huh, I didn't know you were that good. You're my MVP. You go back, Steph Curry's first MVP year. Hey, he was an all-star, sure. We all loved him. He was a fun player. Nobody in October of 2014 said Steph Curry's going to be MVP. But he went out there. He had a great season, even though LeBron had a great season, too. Even though Harden had a great season too, there was something about Curry that made us say, huh, I didn't know you were that good. And of course, the most shining example of all time, you know which one this is. 2011 Derrick Rose. There's no reason 
no logical reason LeBron James should not have been not only MVP, I'll go take it a step further. The unanimous MVP that season. The only logic used there was, A, we don't like what you did, buddy. B, that guy. I didn't know you were that good. Derrick Rose. I mean, you often analogize the MVP conversation to a bunch of our favorite players gathered around a bar, Mm -hmm. sharing drinks. But there's something about that player who does walk through that door. Yes. Who makes a grand entrance and orders shots for everyone. Mm -hmm. That's John Morant right now. He's social media's MVP, I'll tell you that. He's got the block of the year when he nearly touched the top of the backboard. And on Monday night, he gave us the buzzer beater of the year. Yep. And the poster of the year. Yeah. What a resume. He's got all the things needed to conspire for the voters to be swayed and assuaged to vote for him. In fact, I believe the only man standing in his way. Let's see if you guys can guess who the only man standing in John Morant's way for this MVP is. Do we get to look at a silhouette of the player's head? Oh, that's a great Pirtle reference, but no, no silhouettes here. And if you use silhouettes when you play Pirtle, you're a sucker. I imagine that it would be a rather large man, I mean, that's blocking John Morant's candidacy here. Hmm, is it... Where are you going, Tommy? Is it processing your answer? I am trusting mm. that by the time See, it loads... You, you poor, sweet, innocent voice. You think Joel Embiid, who's been anointed, Mm-mm. you think that's the guy standing in the way? You think they'd make it that obvious? No, Joel Embiid has not been anointed. He is not an MVP already. And in fact, in the Eastern Conference, what we're seeing here is a great story of the Philadelphia 76ers rising from the ashes. Joel Embiid is leading them to the top of the Eastern Conference. They're third right now. But, oh, man, big narrative would be working in overtime. Big narrative if Joel Embiid and the 76ers were the top team in the Eastern Conference, and they became the number one seed without Ben Simmons. Mm, You guys are not opening your third eyes right now. I'm sorry to say. All right, here's another one. Here's another one. Hold on. I'm opening them up. I'm opening them up. Yeah, go ahead. Get some eye drops. You got this, Tom. I believe in you. DeMar DeRozan? Oh, oh, that's my boy right there. That's why we're the basketball Illuminati. We pull back curtains and absolutely the biggest guy standing in the way of John Moran is DeMar DeRozan. Let's review the facts. Number one, has the same sort of thing going that John Moran has, which is, huh, I didn't know you were that good. Number two, DeRozan, guy been around for a while. Ja, it's kind of working against you. You're young. So there are going to be voters who might say, ah, he'll be back here. Mm. DeMar, this might be his last shot, right? The last stand for DDR to get his MVP. Mm. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Number three, DeMar, nice guy. Great interview. So is Ja. But again, years and years of great interviews and thoughtful answers give DeMar a little bit of a boost with the voters. Number four, and this one's critical, DeMar DeRozan outspoken about his cause, mental health, which is all the rage right now. So people feel like they're doing a good thing. It's like donating to a charity or whatever. And number five, the Bulls up until this point 
have been wildly more successful than any of us thought. You put all those in, and DeMar DeRozan has the biggest threat to Ja Morant's MVP claim. The only thing that Ja has that DeRozan doesn't, those viral highlights. Let me tell you something right now. Maze is absolutely right. The block of the year, dunk of the year, buzzer beater of the year. Give me all three. And I think John Morant is going to be seen out here. But here's what Big Narrative doesn't want you to know. I mean, what? What's that? Big Narrative out here is asking you to keep your eyes closed, pull the wool over your eyes, and not notice that the Memphis Grizzlies this season, 12 and 2 without John Morant. That's fair. 12 and 2 without John Morant. I've seen that. I'll give you that. If you want to say, hey, soft schedule, Mm -hmm. like things are working out, that it's a small sample size, okay. Big narrative doesn't want you to know this either. According to basketballreference.com, they have an algorithm that trains these stats to spit out what historically voters value and who the MVP should be based on historical trends, voting trends by NBA voters. Big media, big narrative. Uh-huh. And where does Job ja Morant rank on that list of top MVP candidates? Eighth. Mm. Not even in the top seven. You know who the media would want historically? Yes. Jokic, based on his stats and how good the team is. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, Steph Curry, even Rudy Gobert. Sacre bleu! Based on historical media voting. This is why you can't trust algorithms or numbers or regressions. You trust is that everything is orchestrated in a delicate dance. It's a ballet between the league, the media partners, the players association, the sponsors, the media itself. Everyone is complicit in this thing. And I'm telling you, even if they don't know it, it's like a Manchurian candidate chip inside them. They don't know what they don't know. And what they don't know is that they are predisposed to value a story above all else. The narrative will play out. John Morant will be MVP. And if he's not, it's probably going to be DeMar DeRozan. Cover my bases. <coughs> Russell Westbrook. <coughs> boom. 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 Shakalaka boom. It takes time to connect the dots. I know that. I know but that. also, I know that there could be a day of reckoning when you wish you connected the dots more quick. More quick. What were we thinking? Why did we wake we up when we had a chance? Move it! Demolish it! Blow it up! What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure. That just that ain't, just so. ain't so. A means of defeating truth. Communicate this real clearly. The only way I do is city by city, person by person, family by family. There are a lot of people go straight from denial to despair. Without pausing on the intermediate step of actually doing something about the problem. 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 A means of defeating truth. We've been talking a lot about John Morant, the number two pick a couple years ago, right behind Zion Williamson. What a big behind that is. I think there's something going on here, I mean, that it's not just a, huh, he's pretty good. I think there's another thing going on here in the minds of big narrative. Mm. It's the small market story oh. of Ja Morant lifting the Memphis Grizzlies away from the grit and grind era. Bye-bye, Tony Allen. Bye-bye, Marcus Saul. Bye-bye, Mike Conley. And suddenly we have to give the small markets another reason 
to keep buying season tickets and keep supporting your teams because you too could have a Ja Morant. But really what's going on here, I mean, is they don't want you to know what's happening in the Big Easy. You're absolutely right. You know, we've got turmoil on both coasts, the Lakers and the Knicks. Obviously what happened with Simmons, what happened hard, you, you mentioned all that stuff earlier. You need a little bit of air freshener, right? Ja Morant. But one of the things that's been going wrong is what's happening with Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson whomst hurt his foot earlier last summer, and we were told he'll be ready by the regular season, which was then amended to, oh, I didn't mean the beginning of the regular season. I meant at some point in the regular season, which is then since it amended to, yeah, I don't think he's going to play. And then we get the story, Tom, that Zion is unhappy in New Orleans. And how could he be unhappy with all the beignets and gumbo and etouffees available to him? But yet, it's not enough. And that doesn't surprise me at all that it's not enough for him. Something tells me he's never said, I'm full. I digress. Because the real story that they're trying to hide from us isn't that Zion isn't going so well in New Orleans. And isn't that Zion is unhappy in New Orleans. The story they're trying to hide from us Zion is destined to be a New York Knickerbocker. <laughs> Ask me why. Why do you think he's going to the Mecca of basketball? I mean, or the supposed Mecca of basketball? As always, we always start many of these conspiracies by saying my three favorite letters in the alphabet. C-A-A. I mean, that's just two letters. It's just C and A. It's not three letters. You get what I mean. It's three letters and one of the letters repeated, but my favorite three letters in the alphabet. When it comes to NBA conspiracies over the last, well, I would say decade, CAA is an acronym. You got to remember those because so many things can be explained and deciphered by looking through the lens of the C, the A, and the A. So what does CAA factor in? Well, first and foremost, Zion Williamson represented by CAA. Out in New York, you got Leon Rose, who was formerly of CAA. He's the president of basketball ops. He's assisted by William Wesley, who is also a former CAA person. Their coach, their head coach, Tom Thibodeau, CAA client as well. You look through their roster, the number of CAA players they have is abundant. And that's just a bare, basic, formulaic level at the top of how this franchise is so heavily influenced by this agency which desperately wants to move this client to a bigger platform, a bigger stage, if you will, guys. Then the next level, that's like, wait a second, mean, why wouldn't Zion end up there six years from now, right? Here's the deal. I don't know how many people know this. This is one of my favorite things. You guys know about Supermaxes? Oh, yeah. That's the bump in pay that you can get in your salary based on hitting certain performance criteria. Right. If you remember, for instance, DeMarcus Cousins was on his first max deal. He was up for an extension and he would have been eligible for it if what hadn't happened. Tom, do you know? What made him ineligible? He blew out his Achilles. No, rewind. Something before that. He didn't make third team All-NBA? No, he was eligible. What happened that made him ineligible? Hold on, opening my eyes. Was he traded? He was traded from Sacramento to New Orleans. And the big thing about this Supermax, the ability to give the Supermax to your player, which is basically to bump them up to the higher class of percentage of salary cap. If Zion Williamson wants to get the bag, 
What needs to happen? He has to stay in New Orleans, except for one loophole. If you are traded within your first four years, that is the only time that moving forward, you can still carry with you the eligibility to hit the super max later. I'm not talking about the deal that happens right after your rookie deal, that first max deal you get. We're talking about the second max deal you're going for. If Zion were to sign his extension in New Orleans, full max deal, fully guaranteed, everything's cool, la, 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 la. And then two years from now, say, I don't like it in New Orleans. Get me out of here. They could trade him. He'll go somewhere else. And they can give him a max deal. And they can give him a fifth year. But what they can't do is give him the super max if he's eligible for it. He can't get to that 35% sooner than 10 years if he gets traded two years from now. But if he gets traded now within the first four years of his career, he's eligible for that 35% down the road without having to play 10 years. And so for Zion, the window of time to get out of New Orleans and still ensure his future money is between now and February of next season. He basically has 11 months as we are recording this. Clock's ticking, folks. The clock is ticking, and that's what they don't want you to know. They tell you, they advertise it as, oh, this clause, it's only for players, the team that drafted them, because we want to give the hometown team a great opportunity to keep their talent. La, 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 la. It's all smoke and mirrors. They gave them a back door. They gave them an ability. In the collective bargain agreement, they say, hey, come here, kid. You don't have to fall for all this. Come here. Watch it. See that door right there? Yeah. Just walk out that door. Come back around. You'll be at the front of the line. And nobody talks about this. It is insane to me. They are throwing hints left and right. Let's take a look at what the Knicks did. They drafted R.J. Barrett. What did they do earlier this year? They've done one deal, one trade. What was it? They traded for Zion Williamson's Duke teammate, Cam Reddish. Oh, oh, oh. Well, wouldn't it be great to have the band back together? What do you think? I'm a moron? I don't see it happening. I see a couple of pips waiting for Gladys Knight. New York is the mecca of basketball. Uh, I love I love playing. I love playing here. Uh, when I played here in college, and this is my first time playing here in the pros, and I mean, this, this atmosphere, you know, whether they're cheering for you, whether they're booing for you, uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, honestly, I think outside of New Orleans, obviously, uh, I think this might be my favorite place to play outside of New Orleans. I can't even lie to you. I can't lie to you. But I mean, why would the Pelicans do that? Why would the Pelicans trade Zion Williamson for what, Obi Toppin? Dunk contest champ, Tom. True. Dunk contest champ. But what you're really saying here, I mean, is the stars are aligned. Julius Randle, CAA client, maxed out, brought back by the Knicks after a historic season. Bing bong, they're going to get Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, and Cam Reddish reunited on the Knicks. Stan Van Gundy goes on the Levitt's Heart Show. The truth teller, Stan Van Gundy, goes out and says, Love that guy. The Knicks have never gotten that guy for the last 20 years. We keep talking about the Knicks that they're boogeyman and they're going to get Kevin Durant. They're going to get LeBron James. And they always come up empty handed. I mean, so what really is the incentive for the Pelicans to trade Zion Williamson if they're not getting back the players that they're trying to reunite Zion Williamson with RJ Barron, Cam Reddish? What else is there? I'm going to tell you right now, here's what's going on. First of all, you have to talk about why New Orleans would want to give up on Zion at all. That's where you start. Well, what we've seen through three years, he's played 85 games. We knew coming in, hey, you got to watch your weight. He has struggled to do that. We knew coming in, hey, you got to watch your diet. 
he struggled to do that. We knew coming in, biomechanically, you've got some things wrong with you Mm -hmm. that we need to correct. Right. He's been resistant to those corrections. He's not a leader. C.J. McCollum has to go on national TV to reveal that he didn't even get a welcome to New Orleans text. This guy is not what was originally pitched. He is an incredible basketball player. Yes. But there are certain things in his way that make you say, do I want to be married to this long term? Because guess what? His extension is coming up this summer. He's going to be extension eligible. They're not taking a dollar less than max. So are you going to pay someone max money for him to sit around, eat bonbons and be hurt all the time? And not be a leader and not be a good teammate. Here's my question. I mean, though, do we have another way station situation happening here? Where. So the- hold on, hold on, Spell way. <laughs> w E I G H station. We might need several put together just to figure out how much he weighs. Continue with your question. I think the owners, from what I'm hearing around the league, the owners are shaken in their boots about what happened with James Harden, what happened with Ben Simmons. Mm -hmm. And what's happening here with Zion Williamson is essentially they're holding the team hostage, being so detached and forcing their way into a situation that essentially is player empowerment realized. As if Zion Williamson, what was it, last April, when I've never seen an NBA player so happy that when Zion Williamson was asked about Madison Square Garden, what it was like to play in Madison Square Garden, (laughs) and man, smiling ear to ear, he was like a kid on Christmas morning, right? Talking about, gotta be honest here, I gotta be real with you. Of course, uh, outside of New Orleans, Madison Square Garden's my favorite place to play. Can't hide it. A kid on Christmas morning who just had Santa's cookies and milk that he hadn't eaten the night before. No, I'm going to tell you right now, Tom. I'll let you know. I'll say it. i put my name on it. It can't be a waste station because he needs that money. You only got one shot. One opportunity. Yeah. You got to hold on to it. Lose some weight while you're at it. Should throw up some of mom's spaghetti sometime, maybe, Zion. Oh, man. No, he's not going to throw that up. He's holding all that down and some of Auntie's spaghetti and your mom's spaghetti and everybody's spaghetti. He's going to New York. He's got one opportunity to make this exodus and get it to where it matters. And him going to New York is going to be a profit maximization move for him. So that's why the Pelicans would do it in general, to divest on this thing that they feel might be a toxic situation. Did you notice, Amin, David Griffin's press conference a couple of weeks ago when he was announcing C.J. McCollum and talking about the C.J. McCollum trade and what he brings to the organization. Did you notice his response about Zion Williamson and the words he continued to use over and over in his press conference? No, enlighten me. Anecdotally, Zion's very happy. You use the word anecdotally? Anecdotally, things are going well. I once knew a moron front office person who used the word anecdotally for everything. And I don't believe knew what it was. But David Griffin has never struck me. He's a very intelligent guy. He knows what he's saying. He's kind of like LeBron in that way. Like when he says something. It's not by accident, I mean. It's not by accident. Yeah. So what, what do you what do you read? What do your tea leaves say, Tom? I like how now Tom's getting into reading tea leaves. Come on, man. Sit next to Amin. Let's have some reading time in my library of tea. Zion Williamson has detached himself from this organization. Mm. He will not respond to my calls. Mm. He is a persona non grata, not because of me, Mm. but because Zion is not communicating with us. So when David Griffin is out here saying, Zion Williamson anecdotally is doing very well. 
anecdotally, he has expressed a very positive review of the CJ McCollum trade. When David Griffin is out here saying anecdotally four times in about a two minute span, that's not by accident. Mm-hmm. I think he is trying to set the narrative or establish the fact that Zion Williamson has disconnected himself from the city of New Orleans. And not only that, I mean, the organization themselves sent out an email to their season ticket holders asking oh, for a re-up. I love how I've managed to get Tom Habistro, one of the most credible, by the books, between the lines guys we have covering basketball, just the ultimate professional. I've got him to start taking off all of those masks that everybody wears and start thinking about things the way I think about things. Tell them, Tom, what happened in that email? On February 21st, truth teller, Mm. Fletcher McKell, local sports anchor in the Big Easy, he posted the season ticket renewal email from the Pelicans and the text did not mention Zion Williamson at all in the email, nor a photo. Mm, No. Who did they mention? Maybe they just mentioned the ownership. Maybe they just said the Benson family welcomes you, right? Is that what they did? Oh, no. I mean, here it is. Quote, led by new head coach Willie Green and players, Brandon Ingram. Ooh, we're naming players. Jonas Valanciunas. And C.J. McCollum. He just got there. The Pelicans are building something special across the street from the Caesars Superdome. And with their best ever season ticket package now on sale, there's never been a time to lock in. Join the squad. Yo, if you're Smoothie King, how pissed are you <laughs> that they shouted out the sponsor of the other building across, across the, the street? street. <laughs> how dare you? Maybe Smoothie King and Zion are in cahoots. Oh, no. A lot of sugar in them smoothies. Maybe we should be drinking the smoothie. Oh, no. The Kool-Aid smoothie. I'll give you a smoothie to drink. Tom, you asked me why the Knicks. One reason and one reason only. It's provocative. Gets the people going. It's going to sound a little simplistic, but bear with me here. Because it's the Knicks. Seems like a little bit of circular logic there. I mean, can you widen my aperture here and show me what you're right? doing Okay, that? so watch this. Watch this. As we go from a single match being our source of light in a darkened room, watch me throw on the floodlights. What team, as Stan Van Gundy so eloquently said, time and time again, swung and missed in acquiring top-tier talent? The Knicks. What team had an owner go on radio, local radio, and tell the fan base and the listeners that we have several high caliber free agents that have expressed an interest to play in New York only to swing and miss on every single last one of them. The Knicks. Meaning when something like the promise that Zion represents becomes available, what team will be overly eager to overpay for the right to have such a guy? Even though he's had injury issues, even though he's had weight issues, even though he's had detachment issues, all of these red flags that make saner teams say, yeah, I like him, but I'm not going to mortgage my entire future. We know the Knicks wouldn't hesitate. And you know what they have that's more valuable than anything? Drum roll. All of their picks moving forward. Oh, mean. David Griffin, this ain't his first time at the rodeo, Tom. He traded Anthony Davis. You know what he got from the Lakers? Lots of young players and lots of picks. All of their picks moving forward. He traded Drew Holiday. You know what he got from the Bucks? A whole lot of picks. All of their picks moving forward. And what he'll get from the Knicks 
or all of their picks moving forward, and maybe even that Dallas first-round pick that's owed to them as well, just for good measure. You have an opportunity to clean up, to roast these guys, to extract every last drop out of them. And the best thing, you know what I love about acquiring future picks is the assumption that I'm basically betting that you're going to f*** this up. Mm, So it's a little inside job. Absolutely. I'm betting that you're going to f*** this up and I'm going to walk away years from now. People are going to say, wait a second, how did the Pelicans get the top five pick? Well, because they bet the Knicks would f*** it up. That's exactly what happened. Final point to this inconvenient truth that I'm revealing to everybody. It is pretty, pretty convenient for people to think that Zion's going to go back to New Orleans and everything's going to be fine and it's going to be great no. and the Big Easy's going to get him back. But this seems a little inconvenient. That's what the league wants. The league wants teams to feel like, oh, you can keep your star players. Don't worry about it. No one's coming to steal them. No, I'm telling you, this is what's happening. And I'm going to give you one last thing right here. One last shred. So I talked earlier about the reason why Zion want out was because this is the only opportunity for him to change his venue and still be able to get that money down the line. Can you guys name the last player who was in this exact situation? Star player traded within his first four years in order to preserve <sighs> his future earnings and his future eligibility for a Supermax. Chris Stapps Porzingis? Bang, bang, boogie. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why he's my co-host. His name is Tom Abistrow. Chris Stapps Porzingis. And do you remember... Everyone said the Knicks were crazy to trade him away. And do you remember what were the things, the elements that made them want to move off of him? It's two things. Fear of injury down the line. One was health. Two. Insubordination. He wasn't getting along with the organization. And so they got rid of him. And everybody laughed. And then they swung and missed on free agency. And everybody laughed some more. And you see what happened to him. At the trade deadline, Dallas chose poorly. One of the rare times where the Knicks, I believe, did the right thing. But because that was one of the rare times, we know now they have to make it up with about 10 awful decisions in a row. Law of conservation of trades. Yes, I follow you. There you go. The law of conservation of trades. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Amino Hassan's Inconvenient Truth. More like Zion William Singus. Oh, Tom. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, just wrapped up the segment. You just had to knock it out of the park is what you're saying. Try to slide that inconvenient joke in there is yeah. what you tried to do, my friend. You might have to put those masks back on, Tom, and get back <laughs> in the straight and narrow. Chris Stapps poor Zions. Oh, boy. Tom, what? Research have you been doing on your own this week? I'm fascinated to know. Well, referees are in the headlines once again. Players are being ejected. <laughs> Calls are being missed. And, oh, Whoa. we thought that was a two. Oh, it was a three. But no, wait. It's only going to matter when it's in overtime. Whatever. That call came in from Olympic Tower in Manhattan. (laughs) Make sure this shit lasts forever. So I did some of my own research because I don't trust. I'm surprised that more people aren't aware of this thing. But as you know, I like to do research and go places that other people are too afraid to go. Do you think the NBA shares its best referees evenly among the 30 teams? Or do you think they stack the deck for the marquee franchises and leave the basement dwellers with the rest? Tom, it's so complicated. There's so many games out there. 
don't they just punch this into a computer like they do with the schedule and just whatever it spits out is what they do? <laughs> What's funny? <laughs> you, I wish you could see the look on your face right now. The stupid sheepish look of like, oh, it's the tooth fairy, right? Like she comes in at night, takes the tooth from under my pillow, puts a dollar. Wait, what? The tooth fairy's not real? <laughs> Spoiler alert. I hope there are no kids in the car listening to the podcast. No, come on now. What do you think, Baze? You think they're going to send the rookie refs from the G League to go do Warriors versus Lakers on Saturday? Hell no. Dom, let me guess. The best refs, the most experienced refs, somehow, coincidentally, they ref the good teams. And then the ones who are kind of like, hey, this is my first refing job. I just got here. They're doing like Pistons versus Magic, right? Am I right? How close am I? Tell me. Uh, well, let's back up here because, you know what? I had my eyes halfway open. They weren't fully closed. You were squinting. You were trying to look at the data. I understand. I didn't want to be biased in my research here. Mm-hmm. Referees, they have jobs to do and they have places to be. And I just thought, you know, I want to hedge my bets here. I don't want to go too far in one direction. I want to see what the data shows me. So first, to figure out if the NBA allocates its best referees to the Knicks of the world, the Lakers of the world, the Warriors of the world, we first have to figure out how we know which ones are the best referees. Mm, If only there were someone evaluating these refs to do the work for us. That's right. And we know the NBA chooses referees for the NBA finals based on their performance. These are the best referees, and we're making sure that they go to the NBA finals, the cream of the crop, the top of the mountain, the summit of the NBA. The Scott Fosters, the Billy Kennedy. So the NBA publishes a list of every referee for every game and organizes them into three categories. The crew chief, I mean, okay. the referee, and I'm going to say referee with a capital R, mm-hmm. and umpire, those three roles. The NBA describes their roles on their official website. Their definitions. Their definitions. Okay, okay. And it boils down to these three things, right? The crew chief is just as it says. It's the boss. The second in command is the capital R referee. And lastly, the lowest rung on the ladder is the umpire. You know, in high school, when you play basketball, you're on the varsity team. Yeah. Those are the crew chiefs. The JV team is kind of the referees. The freshman team, those are the umpires. Mm. And Scott Foster, like you mentioned, might be the most recognizable name in the NBA. And the NBA really trusts him. And we know this because he's an NBA finals referee year in and year out. But also because when you look at those official role assignments from the NBA that they post on their official NBA website, Website. We learned that every one of his regular season games this season, he has been a crew chief. He plays JV to no man or woman. That's right. And Tony Brothers, same thing. All told, there have been 83 referees that have worked an NBA game this year. And what happens when you look up each referee's total games between crew chief, referee, and umpire? What do you learn? Well, it's time to peel the wool off of our eyes, everybody's eyes. Yes. The Illumin Army. Yes. I created a simple five point system. And I gave every referee a referee rating. If you were a crew chief for a game, I give you five points. Very simple. There you go. A referee, three points. Uh-huh. Umpire, one point. And I mean, Maze, if you add it all up for the entire season and you average it out, very simple math, bam. Out of bio. You get a five-point rating. Look at that. So in the case of Scott Foster, he is a perfect 5.0 rating, crew chief in every single game. And there are 15 referees in the NBA with perfect 5.0 ratings, the most experienced refs. Tom's got a whole a whole chart here. Oh, wow. Look at that. Color-coded and everything. You did do your research. Look at you. And when you look at all these ratings for all the referees and you look at which games they work, you can figure out, wait a minute, 
Do certain teams get preferential treatment by the NBA? Do they get the Scott Fosters of the world more so than the other referees? Uh-huh. Yeah. And? Well, it turns out- Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm right. Amin is right. <laughs> the top two teams in average referee rating, based on the NBA's role assignments, based on the NBA's system, the team that gets the best referees- the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> the number two team is the Los Angeles Lakers. Bang, and they're playing on Saturday. I called it. So remember, the other night, Lakers at Warriors, February 12th. It was a game of the stars. It was LeBron James. It was Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook on one side. And on the other, you had Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson. That game was broadcast on network television, ABC. And you know how I know it was really big? Not just because it was on ABC because the referees on that game. Amin. Who were they? The NBA assigned James Capers, Kevin Scott, and Marat Kogut to the game. Not just one, but two of the NBA's top referees were on the game. Capers is a 5.0 ref. Scott is a 4.9. And Kogut is a 2.2 for an average rating of 4.1. So this is one of the only times that Scott has dropped down to the second position and it's 4.9. Otherwise, he'd have a perfect 5.0, except for games like Lakers Warriors. Kevin Scott, first time that he was on as a second tier referee in that second tier referee role. Meanwhile, on the same day, can I put you on a plane here? Let's get on a plane. Come on. Let's go to the opposite coast. Same day. Sacramento Kings were in the nation's capital playing the Wizards. Right. The NBA assigned Josh Tiven, pretty good ref, Ray Acosta and Jason Goldenberg. Okay. You had a 5.0 referee in Josh Tiven, but then you had a 2.0 and a 1.6, a crew average of just 2.8. Can I also trouble you with years of experience in that Lakers-Warriors game? Please do. 52 years of experience on those referees working that ABC game. And in this Sacramento-Washington Wizards game, there was just 24 years of experience. How many of them were Tiven? Pretty much all. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much Tiven. So for the sheeple out there, who just thought that maybe referees were evenly allocated amongst the 30 teams. (laughs) How about you, Mays? That's kind of rude to just talk about me like that, but whatever, go on, Tom, make your point. Anthony Baba Mays over there. The Saturday ABC game, the NBA put elite referees on that, but for the Kings-Wizards, two teams outside the playoff picture, there was no Bradley Beal in that game. There was no Buddy Heald in that game. Shouts to Buddy Heald. Did have Ish Smith in that game. But the point is, the point is, the NBA trotted out was comparatively a JV game. And this is not an anomaly, folks. When you run the numbers for every NBA game, you find that there is a clear trend. The NBA's best referees go to the marquee teams. And the opposite is true. The bottom five teams in referee rating are? I'm going to guess Detroit has to be one of them, right? Bottom six, Detroit. Ready? Detroit, Toronto, Cleveland, Houston. Washington, and Orlando. So wait, hold on. All right. All right. I'm confused because Cleveland and Toronto are actually good. But did we expect them to be good? Mm. Because you're a math guy. I know you do regressions and things like that. And I know regressions tell you what has like the closest relationship to the way this number is. Would you say the ref ratings are more closely related to how good the team is or how popular the team is? Or... How much they're on major television. (laughs) Isn't that an indicator of popularity? Oh, yes, yes. Because what you realize here is that, Maze, you're getting a little wise to this. You're figuring out where I'm going next. I'm not 
so much of a sheep anymore, am I? I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing, Tom. Aha! Film noir. Film noir. Of the top five teams in referee rating, do you want to know how many times those teams are on national TV? Just a guess. Uh, 20 times? 80 times. Okay, remember that number. Ooh, oh my God. That's a big number, Tom. That is a big number. And I'm Tom Haverstrow, and you're listening to Tom did his own research with big numbers. Not as catchy. Okay. 80 national TV games for those top five teams ranked in referee rating. The bottom five teams in referee rating, how many national TV games do they have? Three. No. Oh, oh, oh my God. Three. So you're telling me that ESPN and TNT have as big of a say in who the ref is going to be than the actual NBA does. How about this? Went one step further. The average referee rating for ABC games, 3.49. Next on the list, TNT, 3.43. Next on the list, 3.34. Next on the list, NBA TV, 2.98. Even below NBA TV. I didn't think it could get lower than that. League pass. Local TV programming, all those games that are just on League Pass, 693 of those games, the average referee rating is a 2.95. Oh, they don't care. All I want to say is that they don't really care about us. So it's crazy. When you look at this, the national TV game, guys, matters so much for the NBA. That's where the money gets made, right? You put the best referees on those games, you treat them like playoff teams, And I can't imagine the Washington Wizards of the world feel great about this or the Oklahoma City Thunder feel about this or even the Cleveland Cavaliers who have to deal with suboptimal referees. They're not getting LeBron's referees. They're getting lower caliber referees on the games despite having a much better season than them. I don't know how they feel about this over there in Cleveland, but I got to believe that most fans intuitively think about this, that there is a big market bias or a Warriors bias or a Lakers bias. And I hadn't even considered this until I started digging into the research. But my feeling is, is it really that simple? The math says that 70% of the variability in the quality of referees on your games can be explained solely by whether you're on national TV or not. (laughs) That's it. So I, how many of you guys, hold on Tom, I don't want to cut you off. How many of you guys been watching games this whole time, wondering why you're getting the shitty refs? I'm going to tell you why, because you root for the Rockets and they're playing freaking Orlando tonight. One last thing, one last thing here, total games with rookie refs, Orlando has the most with 20 and Charlotte is their second with 19. You got Indiana there at four, Detroit at five, Cleveland at 15 total games with rookie refs. Do you know who's at the bottom of that list? The teams that never get the rookie referees on their games. Who never gets rookie refs? The Warriors. The Lakers. The Lakers. The 76ers. And the New York Knicks. Oh, my God. The New York Knicks. In case you needed any more of a confirmation... That the league loves big markets, doesn't matter if they're shitty or not, the Knicks get preferential treatment. You gotta be kidding me. Only seven games this year with rookie referees on them, the New York Knicks. They don't have a good team this year. Everyone knows that they've really struggled. But when it comes to the NBA assigning games to them, somehow they make sure that the referee quality doesn't match the Knicks quality on the court. They have the fewest referees who are rookies on their games. One last thing to point out to the people, by the way. 
this isn't like the schedule makers, right? Where we're like, oh, we put the Lakers on national TV a million times because we thought they'd be good, and it turned out not being good, but we're stuck with these games. They assigned the refs something like 48 hours out. They could easily adjust, oh, the Lakers are trash. Let's start sending worse. No, they don't. They don't adjust at all. Well, I've heard from sources that they do adjust it on the fly. In certain cases, this season has been completely scrambled because of COVID. But still, even if you want to say that COVID has kind of muddied the picture or created a foggier relationship between national TV games and the quality referees that they get, it's still bearing true that the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers and the Atlanta Hawks, who were a top four team in the NBA last year, and they got Trey Young, the next coming superstar, they get great referees. Even with the muddied up COVID picture and referees being dropping out because of COVID, it still is a really strong relationship. And the other thing I'll point out here, guys, is this is just the beginning. There's so much more that we can learn about the referees and that other stuff that the NBA puts out there. And I just want people to keep their eyes open to understanding that there are other people on the court that can impact these games. There are 10 players, but there are three referees. And it's time that we start realizing, hey, the NBA wants to be transparent in a gambling era. Well, this is important to know, too, is how they allocate their referees. And before I thought, man, they would not be so brazen to put the best referees in the NBA, the most experienced, the most trusted ones. And then you find out something like this. The NBA has given referees with over 300 years more experience to the Lakers games than the Orlando Magic. I mean, that is a huge difference in how the NBA makes these decisions. Tom, you're going to have to let us know if they start sending more experienced referees down Memphis way. Thanks to our boy, John Moran. Do not allow the eye to fool the mind. Great man would say that. Season finale of The Righteous Gemstones on Sunday night? Sure did. Loved it. Loved every part of it. Oh, man. What a great episode. And they have Zion's Landing somewhere out in Florida. (laughs) That's right. That's an interesting spot. Yeah. I don't see Zion landing there. Oh. But, man, wherever he does land, look out below. Zion might land in the Mecca. Be the righteous landing spot for him. Lord, hallelujah. Join us in the promised land. Come and take my hand. Let's go to Zion. Welcome to Zion. Everybody wanna meet them, I see it's a Christ party. Let's go to Zion. Can't wait to arrive inside me, a big paradise. Not a mercy, only he know if you're worthy. Water to wine, let me know if you're thirsty. Let's go to Zion. Let's go. Welcome to Zion. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. 
Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.